Hi, you're listening to the Zoe Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Zoe Fellowship exists to have fellowship with God and with one another and to extend that fellowship to others through the work of Jesus Christ. This week's sermon is from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 8, and is preached by Pastor Paul Hong. Due to the ongoing pandemic, Zoe Fellowship Sundays have moved online until further notice. Search for Zoe Fellowship in the YouTube search box and subscribe to our channel for updates and join us for new messages every Sunday at 1 p.m. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7, and then we are reading from chapter all the way to, sorry, all the way to chapter 12, verse uh, 8. So 11, 7, 12 to 12, 8. Read along with me in your copy of God's Word. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. The doors in the street are shut, and the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of the song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered and at the fountain or or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it vanity of vanity says the preacher all is vanity it's God's word um <clears throat> Uh, I realized this week uh, in preparing for this message that uh, there will be a day uh, when I cannot enjoy uh, Pascal, my son, anymore. At least, I can't enjoy him in the way that I do now. Uh, Today, I'm able to hold him. Uh, I'm able to cradle him, tickle him, uh, make goofy faces at him to make him laugh. But 20 years from now, when I am 51 years old and he is 21 years old, uh, if I do any of those things, (laughs) um, I'm a very creepy but healthy and spry 51-year-old man. But the reality is is that both Pascal and I are growing older. And the main difference at this point in our lives is that his growth in his strength, energy, knowledge, body, emotions, all those things uh, are growing exponentially. Like it's kind of like, right? Whereas for me, I am starting, I'm, I'm kind of plateauing out a little bit, right? As I'm, but I'm still growing, I'm still young, okay? Technically speaking, I'm still young, right? Um, but 
for those of you who didn't know, my parents are also in town. Uh, they're in town because my wife is away in Korea. Um, and so my parents came to uh, help me take care of Pascal while she's away. And so my parents have been able to see Pascal um, and, and take care of him while I get some work done. But um, while they are very healthy, uh, it's clear that they are in their 60s. Okay? Like it's clear that they are old. And in terms of their growth, while Pascal is growing exponentially and while I'm kind of plateauing out, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're either at the top of the hunt, maybe they're gradually in decline at this point in terms of growth. And I see that when they come back from a half hour walk uh, with Pascal, uh, pushing him around in a stroller, or they go out in an evening um, target rum and they come back and they're just, they're just exhausted from just, you know, walking around or driving around for a little while. And frankly speaking, this is happening to all of us, right? All of us are a week older than we were a week ago when we were together like this online at least, right? And, and we are actually still young, right? Most of us are in our mid-20s. A few of us are in our 30s. We are not getting any younger, right? Time moves linearly straight that way, right? It doesn't turn back. There's no U-turn. And I point this out not to depress you, but I think this is what the preacher is telling us today in the, in the message, uh, in this passage of Ecclesiastes. Pretty simply put, right? This message that the preacher is sharing with us today is sort of, it's, it's sort of the final lesson that he has for his readers. Uh, next week, when we finish up Ecclesiastes, if you can believe it, uh, it's sort of an epilogue that ties up everything, uh, ties everything up in, the, in Ecclesiastes. But technically, today is sort of the final teaching that Ecclesiastes, the preacher, has for us. And, and the, main, the, the last message he has is this, that we ought to enjoy God and his gifts while we are still young, right? Enjoy God and his gifts while we're still young. Or you can put it another way. Enjoy God, enjoy uh, your creator and his uh, creation while we're still able, right? Because young is, a, is sort of like a subjective term. I mean, we may be old in some cultures, but in other cultures, we're technically still young. So um, and we ought to, while we are still able, maybe a better word there. And he starts off really, or at least he kind of has just two uh, main instruction for us. And the first one is this, that we ought to rejoice in the days of our youth. Okay, we ought to rejoice in the days of our youth. Look at verse 7 uh, with me. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. What he means in verses 7 and 8 is that when it says light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, this is this idea of just being young, that life is good, right? To be alive. It's good to be alive on a sunny. You've been outside this uh, past week where well, on some days it was hot, but earlier in the week it actually started to cool down after that big thunderstorm we had over the weekend, right? It would, like the days, like when you got up in the morning, if you went outside, it was like between 70 to 75 degrees. It was really, really nice. That's, and then when you got out into the sunlight, we, it, it was nice because you felt the warmth of the sun on your face. And that's what he, how he describes the goodness of life. Light is sweet. It's good to be alive. But in verse 8, he says the days of darkness will be many. So while it's good to be alive, he, alive he's saying life is short, or at least our youth is short, our time where we're able-bodied to enjoy the, the, the sweetness of light is, is short. And the days of darkness, when we can't enjoy light, the sweetness of light anymore, those days, are, those, those days will last a while. They're long, right? 
And so his instruction really is, is this. Rejoice. This is verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Right? He's saying, enjoy your life. Right? It's really clear. It's really straightforward. While you're still young, in your youth, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Right? Just enjoy everything that you, have, that you desire to do. Do them. Do the things that you want to do. Right? Experience the fullness of of life. But, but then he also says, but remember, you will be held accountable for everything that you do and enjoy, right? That's what he's saying when he ends verse 9 with, but no, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And then in verse 10, he says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And so what he's really saying here, when he says remove vexation from your heart, he's saying, don't worry so much. Right? While you're young, don't worry about it too much. Right? Don't be too anxious. And then put away pain. He's saying, uh, be healthy if you can. If you're able to, try and be healthy if you can. Remove pain from your body. Do what you can. So remove anxiousness and remove pain from your body while you're young because those things don't last forever. You will have pain in your body when you're older. You will have many more worries and anxious uh, anxieties as you grow older. And I love... This passage that, uh, or that that um, pastor, senior pastor, our senior pastor Lee at, at the in the Korean congregation, uh, he he touched on as he was talking about uh, uh, missionary James Kim who passed away um, at his funeral on Monday, and he talked about how God takes care of us in Matthew chapter six. Jesus says this: Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They never toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the King Solomon, in, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Vanity. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's such a great passage. Like, don't worry so much. Don't worry so much. Trust in God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You are more valuable than the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. More beautiful than that. He will take care of you, right? That's what he's saying. So don't worry too much. Take care of yourself. It will not last forever. That's what he's saying. And so that's his first in instruction that your life, your youth, it's not going to last forever. So enjoy it while you can. Rejoice. Rejoice in the days of your youth, right? Live your life to the fullest. And, but then he, his second instruction is this, and starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, he's basically saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon, the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. 
In verses 1 and 2, he's describing, he's using the, specifically the word creator because this whole time he's talked about, uh, talked about God as, uh, he's named it God, right? Remember God, fear God, obey God. But here he specifically says creator, and I love that because he's, he's talking about uh, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars, right? Like all these elements of creation, agents uh, that were part of God's creation. And if you remember creation, the, the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, he creates all these things, the sun and the moon, the stars and the animals and the fish and the birds and the plants and the vegetation, all that stuff he creates. And after each day, he says, it is good, right? His creation is good. And so this helps us, it helps us to remember, ah, if his creation is good, then the creator must be good. Maybe his good creation actually is a reflection of, of the creator's character, right? So it says, remember your creator while you're still young. Before, you can't even enjoy the good creation anymore. And this is what it means that when he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, right? If you, that sort of language, when he talks about the agents of, uh, the, the agents of light, these, the sun and the moon and the stars, when they darken, you can find that in uh, different, different uh, prophets where they're talking about the day of the Lord, the, the judgment day. And it describes when just the lights go out. That's when you know that judgment day is coming. And so he's talking about death and old age, and he's saying basically that death is sort of this personal apocalypse, this personal day of judgment. It's your day of judgment. Maybe not the day of judgment, but your day of judgment is coming. And so before that day comes, before the day comes when everything's darkened and you, can, you no longer can take pleasure in the good creation of our good creator, remember your creator. Enjoy your creator. Right? And then he goes from verse 3 to the end of uh, our passage today in verse 8. He kind of gives this, this sort of poem. And it's really, really beautiful, the language he's using. And he's kind of, the language he uses, and this is uh, a lot, uh, the commentators have read, they've all seen this as sort of the, um, an allegory of like, uh, it's, well, it's a description, an imagery of a town sort of kind of shutting down at, the, at an oncoming storm, right? And it's supposed to signify uh, the, what happens in old age, right? As the, the storm of old age and death starts coming in, this is what happens to each individual. And he says, first of all, he says, in the, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the keepers of the house are your hands and your arms. They tremble, right? Because they're weak now. If you've seen old uh, or older, older people in your life, maybe they're not as strong, and so their hands are trembling. They're the keepers of the house. And it's the strong men are bent, right? Their back is bent. They're bent over, right? hunched over because their back is no longer strong or like they used to be. He says the grinder cease because they are few. He's talking about uh, the grinders, your teeth. They grind food up, right? But they, they fall out when you get older. Windows dimmed. He's talking about your eyes, right? You, your, your sight gets weaker. You start to lose your sight. And then in verse 4, he talks about the doors on the street are shut. He's talking about your ears, about what you can hear, your your, your hearing gets weakened, but at the same time, you can hear a small bird and it wakes you up. So you start losing sleep. You can't even sleep comfortably anymore because your body can't handle the, the mattress is too soft, right? Things, little things like that can keep you from sleeping. And verse 5 talks about the fear of high, uh, what, what is high and terrors that are on the way, right? Um, if you've seen these commercials about those, uh, those older people who fall down and they, that's an emergency, right? The reality is that's true. Some, some people can't pick themselves back up again. Isn't that crazy to think about? Because we always hear those inspirational quotes where it says, what do you do when you fall down? You get back up, right? 
But some people can't. And they fear falling down from a high place. And then they fear being taken advantage of while these terrors are, right, these terrors on the way, they're, they're, be, they're afraid of being taken advantage of by others while they're down and out. And it describes then these almond tree blossoms, talking about the white hairs, white and gray hairs, which I have a few now ever since I started working here. And then it talks about a grasshopper that drags itself along. You know, grasshoppers, they jump around. It shows that they have a lot of energy and vigor. But this grasshopper is dragging itself along. It's, you just no longer have any strength or energy. And it says desire fails here. Um, and in verse five, at the end of verse 5, and it's the, the, the original language actually talks, uh, uses a similar word that talks about the certain berry that's used as an aphrodisiac, right? And when, so, so when it's saying your desire is failing, it means your sexual desire. You no longer have this sex drive that you used to have when you were a young person. And then verses 6 and 7, it uses all these different images of what's considered or what can be pointed to as what, what life is silver and gold, right? Silver, silver cord, golden bowl, pitcher at the fountain, a wheel that's broken at the cistern. All these things describe life. And when those things snap, when they break, when they fall apart, it's your body breaking down and eventually it's saying you die, right? You turn back to dust. You go and meet your maker. And so he's saying, before all this happens, before it's too late, before you can't anymore, remember your creator, remember his good creation and enjoy it while you still can. And he bookends this section with this, what he kind of started with at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? Everything is a mist and a vapor. It's here and then it's gone, right? When you hear these uh, instructions that he has for us, right? To enjoy our life, rejoice in the days of our youth, or, uh, and then to remember your creator, we kind of fall back into like the verse 9 uh, conundrum, right? Verse 9 of chapter 11. Rejoice, O young man in youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of youth, right? Enjoy your life. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Do anything you want. And then he says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. The reality is that we still live in the shadow of the fall. Right, the, because of sin and uh, the sin and death that's brought into the world be, because of what happened in Genesis three, and so because of the fall, when we think enjoy my life, like what does it mean when I enjoy? It means doing all these things that maybe are considered sinful or fallen, and uh, uh, or maybe something st- things that God doesn't desire for us, right? Or maybe at least not in a context that He wants us to be in. So when He says this, rejoice, but know that these things will be judgment for you. It almost sounds like a warning, right? And in, in one sense, it is, right? Like anything we do, it will be judged. Anything we do or say or think will be judged by God one day, right? And all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You will be held accountable. And so when we think remember your creator, like enjoy my life and remember your creator, these things seem to come in conflict because when we remember our creator, it tells us all these things that we shouldn't be doing, but all the things that we shouldn't be doing we want to do, right? And so now we live in this tension. And so how do we, how do we get from enjoy and rejoice in the days of a youth and, and reconcile it with the tension and conflict that comes with remembering our creator, our, our, our maker, that knowing that we will be held accountable for everything that we do? And I think there are two ways. I think there are two ways. The first one is this, um, covenant, okay, covenant. 
Um, I have a friend, most of you have met, named Jeremiah. Uh, he came and visited one time, or a few times, actually, while I've been here. Uh, he recently wrote this blog. He's been married now for about three months, and he wrote this blog about uh, three bad things that he's learned in the first three months of his marriage and three good things that have happened in the first three months of his marriage. And so <clears throat> these are kind of summarized, but basically... The first bad thing he talks about is uh, that he has no longer exclusive autonomous control of his time and schedule, right? Uh, because he's married, he has to think about what his wife's plans are, and then he has to adjust his plans, and he has to be flexible. And then there's also no time to, like, he likes to learn new things, but um, maybe now he can't do all those things because the time that he used to put into that when he was single is now spent with his wife, right? So he just doesn't have exclusive autonomous control, right? That, and he considers that a bad thing. The second bad thing he says is he can't avoid conflict anymore. When they were just dating, he used to apparently just hang up on her or, or just say, hey, let's just talk about this tomorrow. Let's table this discussion. He'd, he'd avoid the conflict, but now they live together in the same house because they're married, right? And so now he can't avoid the conflict, and conflict hurts. Is At least that's the way he put it. And the last thing, the last bad thing that he's learned in the first three months of marriage is is this idea of incidental damages. So if uh, a member of his wife's household passes away, uh, or his family, or a wife's family passes away, uh, he also is sad with her, right? Or if he were to lose his job, she gets hurt, right, financially. They, he gets hurt financially, now she gets hurt financially, when really it would have just been on him if it would have been by himself, right? So there's incidental damages that happen because of that. And those were the three bad things he learned in the first three months of marriage, but, but then he talks about the three good things he learns. And the first one being that God reshapes our lives to be benef beneficial for the both of them, right? So he, while he may no longer have exclusive autonomous control over his schedule and time, he's realizing that his time actually has become more focused. And so when he was by himself, he would just, you know, scroll YouTube videos, you know, social media and stuff, but now he can focus that time to focus on his wife and enjoy her. And then the, the second good thing he talks about is that his wife makes him grow. And so while he can't avoid conflicts with his wife, by fighting with one another in a good and godly way, they grow together, right, in spiritual maturity, right? So his wife makes him grow. And the final good thing that he wrote that is that now he has a lifelong, constant, all-in supporter, which he's saying that, yes, there may be hurt when something bad happens or now we affect one another this way, he also realizes that, ah, but even when that bad stuff happened, uh, we have each other, and that's a good thing, right? We have a constant, lifelong, all-in supporter. Those were the three good things. And notice that they all kind of relate. The first bad thing related to the first good thing, the, the second bad thing related to, with the second good thing, and so on, right? And this was his last paragraph, which I'm just gonna read to you, quote. He said, these are some of my thoughts. I noticed my good thing about marriage were somewhat a reverse statement of my bad thing about marriage. I really didn't do that on purpose, but when I think about the er these areas of marriage, on one hand, it could seem like it's costing me a lot of personal liberties and emotional tolls, but on the other hand, the benefits of the mutual companionship and the support from a God-given spouse abundantly outweighs that cost. That's what I think after three months of marriage, deeply and genuinely thankful for the past three and joyfully hopeful for the next ones to come. I think this is a perfect picture of what, um, or at least it's a good picture 
of how we can reconcile the idea of enjoying our life and remembering our creator, the one who's going to judge us one day. And we do it through covenant, right? Marriage is a covenant. And what's happening is all these bad things that we thought about marriage somehow twist themselves into good things, right? That because Jeremiah's love and faithfulness towards his wife and his wife's love and faithfulness towards Jeremiah, because they are, uh, they're in covenant with one another, they start shaping each other and their desires flow together. Their hurts and their mourning come together. Their laughter comes together. Their joys come together. They start shaping each other. And in the same way, when we're in covenant relationship with God and his people, our desires become shaped to match God's desires because we are in covenant relationship with God and his people. And so the things that we like to enjoy, right, to enjoy our life, we remember our creator because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us because we're in relationship with him now. We're in, we're in covenant relationship with him now and because we know that, because we love God and we desire to be faithful to God, we know, we, and then God also is, loves us and, and displays his love uh, for us through Jesus, our desires become shaped by our perfect creator, right? Like Jeremiah and, and his wife, they, Sonju, they're not perfect spouses. Only God is a perfect spouse, right? And so they have to adjust to each other, but we have to adjust to God because he's perfect. All his desires are good. And what he wants for us, right, are good for us. And we should trust him in that. And so what happens when we're in covenant relationship with God is our, we start becoming formed into the likeness of God, right, and his people. And that's why I think covenant is a good way that the idea of enjoying our life and remembering our creator become sort of one is because, or at least we can reconcile them, is because, um, because of that covenant relationship where we love each other and that's why we do it, not because we have to do it, right, out of duty. So that's one way that we, those things are reconciled. The second way is this, is through command. So we have covenant, and now we have command. And what I, what I mean by that is this, that I actually learned this a little later on. But in this, this passage, or verse 9, right, where it gives us this instruction to enjoy life, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But, but then this, the way that it's written, we automatically think, ah, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. But what's funny is you could also translate that another way. There's like an alternative way to translate that. And, and it goes something like, and know that for these things, the things that you enjoy, like God will bring you into judgment for doing that. Or <laughs> I guess that wasn't very clear. He's saying that God is going to hold you accountable for not enjoying it. He's called you to enjoy life. Enjoy his creation, and if you don't obey that, if you don't enjoy it, then he will, that will bring you into judgment. Because the reality is this, that's all over the Bible, right? God is a God of pleasure and joy. Let me just give you a few examples that I found. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, he says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Psalm 32, this is a command. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Verse Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's crazy. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the things that you desire. And, and I think the most clear places, we see it right at the beginning at creation when he creates man and woman. Look what it says in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. He blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is in the face of all the earth, and every tree that is uh, with seed and fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It's right there. We're created, right, to enjoy God's creation. And we are created to enjoy God himself. We are to be glad in the Lord, to delight in the Lord. And he will give us the desires of our heart. In his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The reality is that God wants us to enjoy the things that God has created, and it's funny because when we're growing up, especially as youth maybe, if you were ever in youth group, or a lot of times it feels like that we're told all the time that God doesn't want us to do certain things, right? Like he tells us not to do this, not to do this, and not to do this. And we think, oh, God's trying to steal pleasure from us. But that is the greatest lie the devil has told us. The greatest lie the devil has told us is that God is withholding joy from us. The Bible is clear that that's not the case at all. He has given us his whole creation to enjoy in it, his good creation. And while, because of Genesis 3, while we suffer the effects of sin and the fall, God's grace has been poured out on us just the same, right? That we can still, in the midst of this fallenness, taste the goodness of God and his creation. And by enjoying creation, we can enjoy our creator, right? That's what we want to do, the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man that we glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? But, but to add to that, when you enjoy God's good creation, I think the creator actually enjoys that you enjoy it, okay, right? That the creator enjoys that you enjoy creation, his creation. And, I, and I, the reason why I think this is because I see this in my son, Pascal, right? When we, I know you guys are tired of hearing about him, but I'm not, not yet anyway, uh, but what I realized this, when he's having fun, right, when he's playing with some toy, and, and then he just starts laughing, like he told this really funny joke the other day. All he said was, caca, and all I had to do was say, caca, back, and then he would just start laughing, and then I just started laughing, right? Like it's really dumb, but, but still, I can't help but smile. When he's smiling or when he's laughing for whatever magical, mysterious reason that I have no idea, I can't help but smile and laugh with him. And because he is smiling. And even my parents, in their mid-60s, worn out by the day, right? Like, I come home and they're exhausted. I can see it. And then Pascal will just, like, 
make this funny face and he'll smile and they're like, oh, look at him. And they just start smiling and laughing too. When, they're, when my 60-something-year-old parents, when they see their grandchild smile, for, for some reason, they just start smiling too. I think that's, it. that's how God, often, God our Father often feels about us when we enjoy his creation in the way that we should. He, I think he enjoys that we enjoy it. And so because of our status as adopted sons and daughters of God through the covenant established by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for the cleansing of our sin, and through the power of his resurrection, the smile of God is upon us. When we enjoy his creation, he enjoys us. When we enjoy creation, we enjoy him. And even when we mess that up, enjoying his creation, we can mess it up. When we enjoy the things of God in a way that makes us forget our creator, and instead of remembering our creator, what's crazy is this. He comes running down the road with a robe to cover our shame and nakedness, puts a ring on our finger, shoes for our feet. He has a huge feast ready and a loud party to welcome us back home with a smile on his face. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. He makes us prodigal sons where there is always a smile on God's face, even when we mess up enjoying his creation. And so the preacher is telling us, while we still can, while we're still young, enjoy our life. Enjoy God. While we're still able, enjoy the gifts of his good creation and remember the creator in the days of our youth.